Well, g'day and welcome back to the Voice of a Veteran podcast. And today is a pretty epic episode because I have the man himself, the Thorpedo, Mr. Ian Thorpe, Australia's most successful Olympian, one of our most celebrated and successful and well-renowned sporting stars. And Ian, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on the show today. Thank you. So I've got Ian on the show and we've spoken beforehand because uh, the Voice of a Veteran podcast is all about talking to those who might be struggling in their own uh, transitions in life, you know, in particular, I've spoken with you about transitioning from high performance um, back to everyday life. And you have been at the very highest levels of performance in a very public way and have achieved amazing things from a very, very early age. And you're still at a very young age yourself at the moment and experience so much more than many others um, could dream to in their life. And particularly myself, looking at your story and speaking to you, there's so many parallels and takeaways that I know we can talk about today and that can cool. really help not only our veteran audience, but anyone else going through this. So great. I want to start in, how do you like to be known? How do you like people to reference to you? Well, firstly, I prefer not being called Ian. Oh. I prefer Thorpey. Thorpey. Which is Done. what most people go with. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know how else to define myself. It's a, like, it's a very complicated question. Yeah. You know, it changes from time to time. Um, so if, you know, no one, if no one knew you on the street... And introduce you to today. Who? How would you introduce yourself? Uh, if they didn't know my name, yep. Um, I'd actually probably go with my middle name. Oh, really? James. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, I kind of. Um, yeah, I kind of. My my mum got to pick my sister's name, and which is Christina. My dad got to pick mine, which is Ian. Okay. Um, my mum must be a little bit more creative. Um, Ian's kind of one of those names that you go, oh, so not great. Gotcha. Um, that's why we've always gone with Thorpey. There you um, go, nice. So, but if I introduced myself and no one knew who I was, I'd probably go with my middle name. Okay, um, good. But yeah, it's, um, you know, for me, uh, you know, if I meet people, it's, you know, I introduce myself as Anne, Ian Thorpe, yep. depending on the situation as well. But what do you like to be renowned for? You know, if someone was to take away a snapshot of who you are, what, what would you like that to be? Um, I don't think I'm... I necessarily want to be defined by my success. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's it's quite interesting if I'm somewhere else in the world or um, where people don't know what I do or what I've, I've accomplished. Um, you know, the conversation, if it starts out with, you know, what what do you do? I kind of go, well, it's, it's, a, it's difficult to answer, but I, I used to be an athlete. Yep. And then they'll, they'll ask, oh, well, you... Were you any good? Um, I was like, yeah, I was quite good. Just okay. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, they kind of go, well, what level? And then, you know, I explain. It's, for me, I, I kind of, I, I enjoy it because there's some, um, some normality that's returned to my life at that stage as well. Yeah. Um, it's usually, you know, I, yeah, I'll, I'll be in another country and it's usually when I put, you know, a card to, or, you know, a name to the face that people go, oh, yeah, yeah. that's swimmer, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm like, yeah, that's it. Oh, it's so yeah. fascinating. So yeah. fascinating. I can imagine you've, you've, you've definitely had all of your successes, as you say, in a very, very public way. Mm-hmm. So the ability to sort of blend back into some form of um, unrecognisable normality must be refreshing. Uh, in the context of like a lot of my peers, you know, in the special forces world and all that, no one has any idea like what they did and what we did. Mm-hmm. So it's very fascinating when they're like trying to talk to people and, you know, it's like, well, I used to be in the army. Like, oh, okay, cool. Do you know this person? It's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that random thing. But, 
you know, there's something to be said about that as well, is having accomplishments that people don't know about. Yeah. Um, and knowing that you share them with a small group of people, a unique group of people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the bond that you have yeah. together. Um, you know, in a different way, some of my success people don't know about. They yeah. don't know what I do. Um, and I think it's probably come from being in a position where most of what I accomplished was, you know, in the public eye. Yeah, got you. And what is that like in particular? Um, you know, you were saying that having those that small connection with that small group, I'm not saying that's whether you find that true depth and people understanding that, but you come from a lifestyle that was so much overt affirmation and in particular moving away from the spotlight so much within the sporting industry. Did you find yourself... Um, missing that or did you find it to be a great relief during your movement away? Well, look, I had kind of two transitions out of swimming. The first one, kind of, I I wasn't enjoying what I was doing. So I I just wanted out of the sport. I wanted nothing to do with it. And when when was this? This was in 2006. 2006, got it. Um, You know, probably when I was at the the peak of my career. Yeah. But, you know, I'd had enough. I... um, you know, swimming it was not about training and performing anymore. It was doing press conferences and sponsorships and gotcha. dealing with a public image and all of those things, which I didn't realize were going to be part of what I did in any way whatsoever. Um, and I, I didn't enjoy it. And I didn't have, you know, I guess the, the privacy or the privacy that I, I really craved. Yeah. Um, and so once I kind of... I didn't wasn't able to even train without kind of being followed. Yeah. Um, you know, I get papped at training. Um, once that was gone for me, I couldn't because I, I I'm a unique athlete in that I actually enjoy training more than competing. Yeah, right. So I actually like um, refining my skill or perfecting my skill um, and playing around with that gotcha. so that it happens on race day. Yeah, right. Um, so that was kind of the first time out and. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do at that stage. Um, I just knew what I didn't want to do. Okay. Um, and then the second time, kind of, I returned to swimming because I, I really, I was missing something that I, I wanted to know why I loved what I did when I was a kid yep. um, and how that had been lost. Um, so I wanted to get back a passion for what I, I did that made up so much of my life. And I regained that. I, I was able to, to get that back, that it was exploring the way that I move in the water yeah. um, and then being able to apply speed to that and, um, you know, the kind of G-forces that you go through in water are yeah. actually, like, really quite high. Yeah, um, right. So there's, at really fast swimming, there is kind of an adrenaline rush that you get with it. Wow. Um, so, it would, like, for people who can't probably swim at that speed, it's like, um, yeah, um, <laughs> put your hand up. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of... It's when you when you take off on a, a wave, yeah. um, and you take that first stroke where the wave actually takes over, and you get that hit yeah. where you're going faster than oh, yeah. you were before. But that's every stroke. So for your brain, the over kind of stimulus that you get from it is kind of why you want to be swimming at, at that speed. Yeah. So getting back to, I guess... The That's fascinating. I'm being romanticised by swimming now. Yeah. It's pretty cool, yeah. Um, so I guess getting back to the transition part of it, yeah. it's, um, you know, it, it, I, the second time I was kind of advised and, and it was explained to me that um, we should 
kind of look at these things. Um, if you commit your your whole life, your whole kind of being to one area of, yeah. of kind of significance, and then it's taken away from you or it isn't there anymore, um, it's actually like going through a grieving period. Absolutely. And yeah. if you understand that uh, and you can, uh, you know, kind of manage those different stages that you go through with, with grief, yeah. um, you can get through it and you can actually transition away from it a lot faster. The people who struggle are those that don't understand that, um, you know, this major part of their lives does not exist anymore. Yeah. And they're trying to adjust to what they think they should be moving into yep. whilst there's all of these changes um, yeah. that are going on, um, you know, even, you know, physically, um, yeah. you know, what's happening with hormones and things like that, you know, when you stop being elite at what you do. Yeah, I got you. It's fascinating. So you said in 2006 you left because you sort of lost that enjoyment for it. Did you lose your, you lose your purpose or there was just too much else clouding the space? It wasn't that, no, I hadn't lost my purpose. I would have loved to continue swimming, but I, yeah, I I, I just had a gut fall. Gotcha. Um, it was, you know, for, for me, it was less about the, the training competition and what I thought swimming was when I was a kid um, to it being more like a profession. Yeah, um, okay. And I didn't enjoy that. Um, I didn't enjoy you know, the spotlight that came. I okay. guess before me, there there wasn't really anyone that had this profile yeah. um, and around the world as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. And from a young age too. And I was, yeah, I was yeah. young. Um, and so it it's um, maturing in that world is, is difficult. Um, but also, you know, I kind of felt that um, there were other things that I wanted to do with my life. Okay. Um, you know, the other part to it, you know, I, I won at the Sydney Olympics and I was 17. And so I kind of achieved my lifetime dream, yeah. um, which is different to a goal. A goal is something I think is quite practical that you work towards and you can accomplish. A dream's a kind of thing that you're a little bit embarrassed to say out loud yeah. um, because you don't know if you're supposed to, uh, you know, or you're allowed to dream that big yep. um, in life. It's like saying, I, I want to be an astronaut kind yeah, of thing. Absolutely. So, you know, I considered when I was 17, you know, should I kind of move on? Um, I've done everything that I ever imagined I could in swimming wow. and more. Yeah. Um, and At a young age. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was a kid. What um, next? Yeah. Well, it was. And I was considering, well, what else is there? And I... I had to, do you know, the, the reason I, I probably kept swimming was the only race I really considered that I lost in my career um, was a 200 freestyle at the Sydney Olympics. Yep. Um, and it was probably, it was probably the one thing that it was like, well, I didn't win that one. Um, and I'll make sure business. I will now. Yeah, but okay. Not Un unfinished business. It no. was, it was, I... I'm a better swimmer than that. Okay. Um, I've trained harder. I've trained faster. I should have, I should have won that race. Um, and I was against, you know, the best, um, you know, arguably the best sprinter in the world. One yep. of my friends, Peter Van Hugenbaum. Yeah. Hard name to say. Uh -huh. um, but it got me back, and I went back to training where I had a philosophy that. You know, on my very worst day, I'd be better than any of my competitors on their very best day. Okay. And that was how I trained, and that was how I approached competition 
from then on and all of my competitors certainly knew it. Uh-huh. I didn't tell them. Yep. Um, they worked it out. Um, gotcha. And, you know, there were teams, you know, kind of spying on me to see what training sessions I was doing. Yeah. Um, one of my competitors um, said, well, if he's prepared to do that for this race, I'm going to concentrate on a different one. Yeah. Wow, get it. Where did, this, where did this mindset, where did this purpose and determination come from? It's been so fascinating to listen to you that it was really so focused on mastering your skill set. I think I, I think that's the, the right way. It was not about uh, winning. Um, yeah. It was about being the best that I could be with what I had. Okay. Uh, I am not. I swimmers don't usually look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a different body shape to yep. what most swimmers do. You know, swimmers are lean. They're tall. They're kind of lanky, uh-huh. broad shoulders, narrow hips. I've got the broad shoulders, narrow hips. But, you know, I've got bulk um, yep. and, you know, probably a softer muscle tone to a lot of the other swimmers as well. Yep. Um, so they were kind of, when I was swimming, they were like, oh, this is the perfect body shape. And then, you know, kind of after it, it was like, oh, we found a new one. It's this <laughs> one. And basically I haven't seen anyone. Oh, there's very few swimmers that, you know, looked like me. Yeah. But I wanted to work with what I, I had um, to be able to see what I could deliver, what could come from this. That's why I said I, I'm an athlete that loves training. Yeah, um, wow. Because that's where I would refine my skill set. Yeah. So it's so fascinating to hear that. You know, a lot of people look at your career and see all the accomplishments and, you know, think it's just, you know, an ongoing level of success but for you success was measured by your own individual performance and how you felt achieving those things they were just sort of uh, on the side so when so, the, yeah the difference yeah. is people see people will see the gold medals yeah absolutely um i see the time yeah good. Um, okay so and if the time's slower yeah. than what i've been doing and what I've actually prepared for. Yeah. Part of me is disappointed, even though I won the race. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's kind of, I think you have to have um, that kind of desire that you don't have limitations or that gold medal is not the limitation for you. Good. If it could be better, if it could be faster. And um, it always can be, yeah? It, well, it can be. Yeah. You're always striving for it and rarely does it happen. Um, and then, you know, I... There was a swim that I did where, you know, I, I, I've always gone for, I've tried for the best swim rather than the best result. And there was a swim that I did that I, um, I broke the world record in this race. It was a 400 freestyle at the Commonwealth Games in Manchester. And, um, yeah, I, look, I, it kills me to this day that I could have swum faster in it. Oh, wow. And I was being lazy. Um, wow. I was thinking I have... A big program ahead of me. I have, you know, multiple races per evening. This is a, a week-long competition. Um, you know, things like that yeah. that were in my head when I, I shouldn't have had a problem going faster in that race. Gotcha. And it's more that it, I didn't realize I was going as fast as what I was. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I guess you don't know when you're in there swimming. Yeah. Just how it feels. The pursuit of excellence. It's a quality that is hard to find these days. And it's so fascinating hearing that you don't settle for simply uh, medallic results, but pursuing yourself and pushing yourself forward. How does that go when you then depart from your ability to, or when you did transition from professional swimming, were you still doing it on the side? How were you still fulfilling that desire and that need for yourself to keep pushing yourself further and harder? No, I couldn't. When I, the the first time, 2006 again, I didn't want to go near a pool. Oh, wow. Okay. So I hadn't been in a pool um, until, you know, for basically four or five years. 
I'd swum, I think, less than a handful of times. Yeah. Um, actually, in a pool. Jeez, that's a huge that bank. It so nothing, wanted yep. nothing to do with the sport. Um, Left with a bad taste. I well, I was, and also kind of I, you know, when I I finished, you know, almost as soon as I, I finished, I um, was accused, or I, it was it was late that I had an irregular test. Um, I had an increased level of testosterone and uh, also estrogen okay. at the same time, there which is very irregular. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a you know it was a negative test, but it was leaked to the press. So yep. this was me kind of just going, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be around anyone like this. I'm out of the swimming world. Got it. Um, okay. When it came to the next part, I kind of I wanted to keep swimming. I kind of started a preparation too late to go to the Olympics. So but when did you rejoin? I rejoined 2011. Um, and yeah, that was when I was starting to prepare for 2012. Yeah, got it. And it takes a long time to make it up. I, I can imagine. And then in 2000, early 2013, I was, I was training. Um, and I, I, I just really wanted to go to another Olympics. Yeah. Um, I was training and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure how I was going to get there, but, um, I was doing weights and I um I broke my back. Oh. Uh, so, and I was in a foreign country. Um, Where was this? I was in Switzerland. Okay. Um, so, I yeah I, <laughs> I smashed two vertebra. Um, what were you doing? Um, it was it was on a bench, uh, and it was doing a rotational movement where your elbow drops to the ground yeah. and you extend you do an extension, but yep. um. You're twisting across, so it's yeah. that rotation and I guess the amount of muscle I must have had at the time and then just hitting the perfect angle, yeah. um, you know, meant that I kind of, I cracked two vertebrae. Wow, um, that's impressive. And because I didn't know the number for like the, um, to actually get the ambulance, I had to drive myself to hospital. Oh, wow. Um, which was kind of... I'm not crying, by the way. No. We're out here. We're out here on here. the deck, and it is it's a scorching melting. day here in Sydney. And we <laughs> both decided to wear dark colours. So thank you for braving it for me. Yeah. So what about? That's that's incredible. So even for me, trying to draw parallels here back to the majority of our veteran audience. You know, in 2006, you went through uh, your own transition, which a lot of guys you can imagine do, where they're sort of done with it. They want to get out. They want to do their own thing. Um, then you've come back in, and then you've gone through what is the most acute, which is that sort of um, sudden departure the, the medical transition um, yeah it well it kind of forced my hand it was yeah. like oh I'm not sure and, and then it's like and it, it it's realizing how finite your career is in in sport and yeah. you probably know this as well is yeah. this can change an injury Think or an yeah. something else that probably for you know a veteran um, can be even more significant or yep. usually it is um, and how it just changes but um you know in in all of that the you know, in kind of rejoining the, the community, you know, there's a camaraderie that we have um, that exists that I, I really enjoy. And I get a lot out of that, that I may not see people for years. Um, and, you know, when I see them, you know, completely comfortable around them, yeah, absolutely. ready to have a chat, yep. ready uh, to catch up what's going on, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, and, you know, I have that with friends all around the world now. Um, yeah, it's cool. Remember we talked about so the when you left in two thousand and six, did were you very happy with like who you were from that period two thousand six to two thousand eleven, or where did you sort of 
um, start to, to feel that you were losing that identity and lose that purpose? No, in, in 2006, I really struggled. Yeah, okay. um, it was, it really was. And it was, you know, for me, I was kind of, I was ready to move on. Um, but I, I went through a kind of major depression during that okay. period. Yep. Um, which you, you wanted to leave though. Yeah, I did. And but then, yeah, in, in the following kind of looking at when it was, yeah. that's kind of what I, I, I went through. Yeah, I got um, you. Okay. And not, I don't think it was because of training. It was a combination of a number of different factors. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it meant that that transition was even more difficult. Yeah, trying to work out what you you want to do when you're struggling to even get out of bed. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. That kind of, yeah, it doesn't work all that, all that well. And what do you feel led to that? So, you know, me, myself and many other veterans go through exactly that. You know, I left of my own fruition, but then I started to sort of distance myself from my community. Um, like I was probably saying to you beforehand, no one really knew who I was or what I did. So I was even a bit uncertain with my own identity and trying to reconnect with people. And then trying to find that new purpose, that new spark that makes you want to get up out of bed and, you know, pull G-forces in the pool. And you're not doing that anymore. So how did you, what did you go through? Well, the hard thing is, is the expectation is that if you're able to do X, Y, and Z extremely well, you should be able to move on to being able to do something in normal life pretty easily. Yeah, right. And so your, but your expectations of yourself are also higher. So it makes that more challenging. Absolutely. Um, and I think most people that have achieved something at an elite level understand and appreciate that. Yeah. And then on top of that, um, you also want to be able to accomplish something at the same level. Yeah. That's what you're used to. <laughs> Otherwise, you don't want to do it at all. Yes. So you kind of, you either avoid it uh, or you avoid things so that you don't have to go through this or you go the other way where you do find something that you're passionate about that you want to be able to succeed in and you fully commit yourself to it. Yeah, absolutely. A key thing that I say when people ask me about my struggles in my career, I remember there's a period in 2012 overseas with my guys in Afghanistan and the biggest issue for me is I know I'm never going to be that cool again. I was at the top of my performance. It was just, you know, you talk about the mastery of your skill set. That was the mastery of my skill set as a commander, as on the ground tactics, everything. And now, as you say, I've sort of transitioned from that and you know, it's one of my biggest tasks of the day. I take my dog for a walk and it's very hard to find <laughs> that motivation to tap back into that former self. To find normality and happiness yeah. within it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I had, a, I had a thing, I was talking to some kids um, at a swimming thing and one of the kids said, why are you so cool? <laughs> and I was like, I am not cool. Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm like, because then I said, because I asked, can you repeat the question? Because I thought maybe they'd said cute. Oh, yeah. um, and then when and you're like, cool? yes, I am. And then I, was, I was like, cool. I was like, yeah. no, I'm not cool. Uh, um, and it was kind of one of those things that was like, okay, that's weird. Yeah. Um, but it, I think that's part of being a young person and thinking someone else has it all together. That, What's you know, that? They can manage this, yeah. Well, you have a lot of people that have obviously looked after me. I remember um, 2000, I was sitting there, you know, watching your bloody 400. You picked the bloody nice long race, watching yep. the torpedo swimming in the 400 and just belt it home. And then watching the relay, I have never yelled at a TV harder than watching you bring it home for the relay. And you were 17 at that yeah, time? Like, that's, that's incredible. You know, and that is etched. And it was the Sydney 2000 Olympics. It's etched in everyone's minds. And then, as you said, 2006, you then transitioned completely away from swimming. You've got to understand, from me sitting here, it's so fascinating to hear and want to, like, dive into... Like what you went through emotionally and mentally, you know, we've all been talking about this 
mental health is such a hot topic at the moment and needs to be. Um, you know, you, you performed at the highest levels of physical fitness. Your mental edge, as we've just dived into, is so prepared and so focused on your own performance. But then moving away from having that in the context of what you were doing, you know, what did you, what did you go through? Look, it's kind of... Um it's interesting because I, I had the 400 freestyle first night of competition at the Olympics. And yep. then the 4 by one was, you know, I think about 45 minutes after it. So I had to do both races and they completely use different energy systems yeah. to be able to race them. And I had a coach say to me, um, I won't name them, should, but I won't. Um, <laughs> it said, look, if you can conserve some energy during your 400, perhaps you should. Oh. And it's like, it is the worst thing to say to an athlete. It, because you're well, Especially res- what you've just said about how you operate as well. Yeah. In my, my mind, that was someone saying to me, uh, well, I responded kind of with, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be doing both? Um, yeah, right. But it's kind of when you, you have those um, seeds of doubt that are planted, um, they, may not, they may not actually grow or germinate at that particular time but they they are still planted there and later on when it becomes more of a career and things like that you start to question well and like i was saying before about that um that that race where i broke the world record i wish i swam faster because i wasn't trying hard enough yeah. it was i was looking at a whole competition rather than that individual race that was there yep. then and there that i could have performed better in okay um when it came to the four by 100 that was kind of it was an incredible moment. It was um, history making. An American team had never been beaten in this race in Olympic history. Yeah. Um, and thanks for putting the 17 year old kid at the end. Oh, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it could have gone the other way. So let's just be grateful that it went the way that it did. We watched, um, the, we watched the Thorpey kick. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It was um, amazing. Because you were behind on the last lap, too. I was. I, but. Look, I knew I was going to be behind. So, it look, theatrically, it's great. But um, cool. I was up against the fastest American swimmer. Yeah. Um, and, look, I, I knew it was – I've never heard a, a cheer so loud um, than what I did before during that and during that race. Yeah. But um, that cheer um, – became a collective sigh at about the halfway mark because I was behind by yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and it was like, oh, this is kind of not playing out how it's supposed to for yeah. the fans or for people watching this. Yeah. Um, but I was always going to come home faster than Gary Hall Jr. Wait, um, wait, it would have been nice if you told us that beforehand, mate. Well, everyone should have known <laughs> it. Every commentator knew it. It was like... I like I went out. I basically I dove in. I, I had point three of a second head start, yeah. and the guys had asked me. The rest of the guys in the relay had asked me, "What do you want? Uh, what can we do to help you out?" I said, "I want to lead." Um, and I, oh. I I've now learned that when you ask for something, you've got to be more specific. Like yeah. when I said a lead, I was expecting like a second, not you know, like point three of a second. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was given a little bit of a lead and that was pretty much the end of me being in front in the first part of that race. Yeah, I gotcha. But gradually as I kind of, you know, was coming home in that second 50, I could tell I was taking up ground or taking up water, laying whatever you call it, and swimming. Yeah. Um, and was gating and knew how tight it was going to come yeah. at, at the very finish. And, you know, I just kind of reminded myself uh, once of what I'd, 
what I'd done in training. Yeah. And also that he's going to be hurting more than me. Yeah. Um, and that's what I went with and went to the technical element, which is what I had control over. Yeah. I didn't have control over anything that he was going to do. I had control over my stroke and that was about it. And so as you go and as you're fatiguing, your stroke actually will shorten. So okay. I was just trying to lengthen my stroke yeah, right. the whole way into that finish. This is a very superior mindset for a then 17-year-old. Um, and I just love that key nugget that you just drew. You know, there's so much uncertainty that you can't control, but you focused on what you could control. Uh, and I want to, again, and I'm going to keep jumping forward to um, when you were then departing from swimming, how potentially some of this mindset benefited you or how even in rebuilding yourself from those low points you've spoken about, um, you've been able to default back to what we say, defaulting back to the level of your training and the level of your mindset. Uh, I have to I have to know when I turn it on and turn it off. Yeah. Um, and so I can apply the skill, but I can't I I can't do it with everything. So I've had to learn. Um, there's certain things that I I'm not going to win at, um, and that's okay-ish. Um, if I really cared about them, I'd probably commit to them a bit more. Yeah, gotcha. And it's just whether or not you you care for those things. Gotcha. Um, and you know for. For me, it's it's looking at what I do and what I value in what values I have in myself, uh-huh. and setting myself up for when I I am engaged with those things that I will perform at the same level as what I did when I was swimming. Um, you know, I prepare for things. People will tell me I look like a natural at doing something, yep. but there's a lot of rehearsal that went in yeah, for me to to be able to do that. Absolutely, um, to know what I'm doing um and you know for me practice is key um and it gives me a confidence when i go into things that i probably wouldn't have had otherwise because you know i do a lot of public speaking um i do a lot of kind of corporate kind of engagements around that and you know i am actually quite a shy person um so it's not natural for me to stand up in front of you know hundreds of people um or for me to have been competing in front of thousands of people, that's kind of not me. Yeah. Um, but I realise that that's part of what I do. So I've got to learn how to, to be able to manage it. Got it. People you have around you, those who you spoke previously about having those seeds of doubt um, planted, to be able to maintain your level of performance physically, mentally and emotionally, I'm sure you must have had a pretty great team around you, particularly during your competing. But also I'm intrigued to hear about in your own life and then even moving away from swimming changes in that support network and how that might have impacted you and your, yourself? Sure. So, yeah, I, I guess um, it's part of, of sport where you have to be prepared to be a, a so-called selfish person uh-huh. um, where you are using a, a swimming coach. Uh, you know, I had a, a coach, a you know, a, a then a junior coach as well. You know, I had a physio, an osteo, I had a massage therapist, I had a nutritionist, um, oh. you know, I had a sports doctor, there's then a biomechanist. The, the list goes on and on and on yeah. of people who are contributing to my performance. Um, and you have to get the best out of each of those. Proactively, they're yeah, seeking you out. Yeah, getting, getting and, and there's a willingness for all of those people that they actually, they want to do this. They yeah. love this, what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and so you shouldn't feel guilty for accessing their services, but you have to get the most out of them to be able to get the most out of yourself. 
Good. Um, okay. So there's a there's an analogy. Well, it's in Japan. There's a fruit called a musk melon, okay. um, and it looks like a cantaloupe or a rock melon, whatever you want to call it. Uh-huh. But on the inside, it's green. Okay. Um, and what they'll do is they'll look at the vine of this particular fruit, and they'll look for where there's the perfect T shape, so that symbolically all of the nutrient will go into this melon. So whichever part of it has the perfect T shape, all of the nutrient will go in there and they cut off every other melon so that it all goes in there. Wow. So this is what you give someone when they go to hospital. This yep. is, or you can have it for dessert. It's like it's like a <laughs> couple of hundred dollars oh, wow. for one melon. That'd be a good but melon. It's, and it is really good. Okay. Um, but it's kind of the same thing with sport. Yep. Um, and in... You know, all of those sacrifices that you make to be able to create the perfect product there. Yeah. Wow, this is so fascinating. One, I'm going to be finding me a musk melon. <laughs> but what you said there in particular was uh, having that proactive team around you. Then moving away from that, um, you know, when talking about your injury in 2011 and beyond, and once you move away from, uh, I'm assuming you still don't have those resources readily seeking you out. Are you available or the requirement for you to reach out and then ask for help <laughs> is a key piece I want to talk about? Sure. Like, um, if you're an athlete, you actually have the best access to the best doctors yeah. because all of us end up injured, basically, yeah, at got the it. end of our careers. So yeah. we have a great... If you, if you ever need advice of which surgeon to see, yeah. usually athletes are the, the best people to see. Because yeah. um, we've all had them. Um, I saw a friend recently and um, their girlfriend said, um, you're not... Olympians anymore, you're Olympians, like because <laughs> all you do is talk about all of your injuries that you have, kind yeah. of post sporting career, um, which is kind of true. Um, but I guess that support network, it's it's what you make of it. And yeah. I look at kind of my friendship circles and and things like that. And I was given the analogy that you've got to think of it as kind of being a bit like a, a train mm-hmm. that some people will get on at different times in your life um, and. It's important they're on the train and yeah. they may get off a step, you know, a station before you get off. Yep. Um, but, you know, they can always get back on the train and things like that. So you, you get support and you, you get the people that you need or what you need at different times and then realize that you may be jumping on someone else's train as well. Yeah. Wow. So I want to I just jump into a couple of parallels to help the sort of veteran audience listening here. So, um, you know, particularly from my career in the special forces out there at Holsworthy, we have like a, a high performance cell. We have everything from um, altitude chambers. I you think know. I've been there, by the way. I think you have too. Um, we actually do a lot of work with, we did a lot of work with AIS and a lot of other, um, probably people like yourself coming out and having a look at it. Because, you know, we had things from trying to rehabilitate guys who'd had blast injuries, gunshot wounds through to just, you can imagine, half the guys I have out there is just elite athletes themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have everything on demand. You know, if you have a sniffle, if you have a, joint issue there's doctors and stuff everywhere and then I went from that to then my transition from defense whereby um, you know I snapped my patella tendon years ago and um, it took 12 months to get um, recognized and then the doctors along the way were all focused on um, accountability uh, sorry compensation liability and you know I didn't know I never I, I joined the army at 17 I didn't know how to find a good doctor I've since been to some great sports doctors but you went from this environment whereby everything was provided for you proactively and I then had to reactively reach out um, and I didn't know what to do. And I was also too proud to say that I didn't know what to do. And at this time, I distanced myself from my community because their train keeps moving once you jump yeah, yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're training for the next event. They're training for the next mission, whatever it is. 
and you just start getting lower and lower into this hole of frustration where you're struggling at the smallest things where you previously had super high standards and everything else that you do. And it's just such a fascinating situation. And I want to dive into a lot more about how potentially you, because I've spoken, you've gone through similarly yourself, but then also that support network. And you've even spoken about reconnecting with um, the guys from the 2000 Olympics and like having your own WhatsApp group and finding ways to connect and communicate and have these conversations. Yeah, I mean, that was something that <laughs> it only took 20 years to put together. <laughs> and it was kind of... Better late than never. It, yeah, yeah, it was like, you know, it's 20 years since the Sydney Olympics. Why wasn't this group started earlier? Um, and, you know, it you kind can find of, some parallels there. <laughs> yeah, it kind of, um, it, was, it, it, it was funny. It started as, you know, congratulations, what's everyone up to, to then going through jokes and stupid memes. And then occasionally there's something that's serious that comes back up. Yeah, um, that's it. Recently, one of the swimmers that we knew didn't go to the Sydney Olympics, but was just before that, um, who actually, it's kind of, Allegedly, he's he's up for a uh, bringing in a serious quantity of drugs. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yep, got it. So, you know, that was brought up, and different people feel different ways about it. Yeah, got um, it. And so it was kind of you know even chats like that that we wouldn't ha- be able to have otherwise. I could imagine. Yeah, just that Aussie larrikinism, but just that. that it, and you, how you find that like reconnecting with your old guys at, at a personal level? Well, I always see them. Yeah. Um, like, I see them at different things, and, I, and I'm, I'm happy to see them. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't see each other enough. Um, you know, we were talking about the Relay before. So we have a rule with the Relay boys. If there's, if there's three of us together, we always send a picture to the one person who's, yeah. who's missing. Yeah. Uh, so we kind of... And then, because of we're going to do something around the 20th anniversary of it, but we couldn't do it because of COVID restrictions. Yeah. So I had um, I had the NRL make out a cutout of Ash Callis. Um, you know the ones that were in the stands yeah. like, to make it look like there's a crowd? Yeah. So we'll take him around to <laughs> events and things and sending him pictures Good. to try and make him feel included in it as well. I love that. I love that. I mean, for myself and many other veterans, you know, again, that connection is really hard to find. And that's why we have days like, you know, Anzac Day where we get together. And yeah. otherwise it's a... Uh, weddings and, and funerals, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, there's not as many big speaking events and whatnot we all go to, but you were saying before how you're just able to pick up those conversations and jump straight back into it and order, sort of lower any of those defences or you know la- layers of pride that you might have and be able to reconnect. And I actually often find those, I call them my mental fitness sessions. Mm. I get more out of those connections and conversations than I do with my weekly psychologist or psychiatrist discussions. Um, yeah, no, I think because you've had a, a shared experience, That's it. Um, you instantly can relate and you don't actually have to explain, you know, what that is. You, it's just known and it's, you know, often it's unspoken. Um, and then if you need to open it up a little bit more, you know, the starting point, you're so much further down the, the path to be able to go there. Yeah. Um, whereas for, I guess, someone and you know, looking at psychologists and things like that, they have to have an understanding of you as an individual without completely understanding the experience. And how long is it actually going to take for you to explain yourself um, to someone else, even if they're a specialist in their their field? Um, It's going to take you a long period of time for them to get an inkling of what um, is required for you as an individual. Um, And, you know, how to show you how to look after yourself as well yeah absolutely and this is you know at the moment with 
2020 lockdown, COVID, everything. I mean, already the Australian medical system is so booked out in the veteran space. It's like three months wait for a psychologist. But I keep trying to tell people that, look, just go out and connect with each other and have these conversations. Yeah, so we, I, I, I'm patron, I'm a board member for a mental health organisation, which is Reach Out. Uh-huh. So we um, work with young people and young people and, and their parents usually. Um, so we know from all of the data that, that we have um, in what we do, young people between the ages of 14 and 25, the first people they'll speak to about any mental health kind of concern or problem or you know, what they're going through is family and friends. Yep. Um, and then the next place that they go is the internet. Um, so there's good information, bad information out there. So sure. we provide an area where it's peer reviewed and accessible for people that it's appropriate for the age groups that we work with. And we also know that within that age group, um, the leading cause of death is suicide. Yep. Um, and we also know that of that particular group, 70% of those young people will actually not seek out any professional or clinical help. Yes. So it's where do you turn to then? Yep. And it's a similar kind of thing. Yep. Um, you, some people would say it's a stigma. Other people uh, may not feel comfortable speaking to someone um, that they don't know. Yep. So you do rely on those that are closest to you. Yeah, absolutely. Same in the veteran community. Some statistics for you that were really still shocking for me is that during uh, their time serving within the military, the su- veteran suicide rate is 50%, 50% below the community average. And then after they've transitioned from defence, the average, particularly for those male and women under the age of 35, is 30% higher than okay. the community average. So that's why there's so much going on in this space and these conversations about that transition period from defence because somehow something along the way is going from 50% below to 30% above. That's the really shocking figure at the moment. Yeah, we have, um, and that is a frightening figure. Um, in in sport, we know that there are more people that require a medical health intervention than what there is in the general population. Yeah, and sig- sig- after after sport or within sport, even during. Wow, so, that's fascinating. Yeah, and we're kind of wondering, like the big question is that we're trying to work out um, is. Is it that there's something in sport that attracts people to it? Is it the endorphins that you experience that kind of help mask, um, you know, what's an ongoing mental health issue? Mm. Um, Or is it because of the sport and the pressure that comes from it, um, the repetition of it being isolated at times? Is that what's causing it? Um, So that's the next part we have to work out. Well, I think that is. So particularly for me, trying to put the finger on my own experiences with mental health and changes therein, uh, within the defence force, within the military, within my special forces group, uh, you know, you're always surrounded by people. We always had a team. Um, you know, we were never really we were had to maintain ourselves to an individual standard, but we're always within a collective team. And that culture that we had as a team was really that protection, that barrier, and everything that kept, that kept us safe. And then it's when you leave that, and for the first time, some of us are actually on our own. Uh, leaving that culture, leaving that support network is really what um, I have found and so many thousands now of veterans I've spoken to feel the same but that's fascinating like you were saying you really are you have a support team around you but the team is supporting you for a purpose which for a performance piece but how about actually like supporting you emotionally and what Ian thought today needs as opposed to the guy who's going to be leaving this industry sure and look we we know when we look at a broader um 
that, you know, people will often say, you know, why didn't you just say something? Um, <laughs> it's not it's that kind easy. kind of the <laughs> response that you get yeah. from people. You should have told me. Um, I would have helped out more than willing, happy to do it um, yeah. kind of thing. But you, you just don't feel like doing that. It's the hardest thing is to pick up the phone yeah. uh, in times that you're struggling. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of, it's working out, you know, how do you, how do you get to that point where you, you can speak to people at this level yeah. um, and not feel judged um, as well? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of, you know, in, in working in mental health now, you know, I actually, my goal in this area is that it, we don't call it mental health anymore. It's just health. Absolutely. Um, that's what I tell people, you know, we go to the gym and work out. We call it fitness. You know, do we call it physical health? That's all encompassing. You know, these, this mental health piece, it's just people have a trainer, people go to the gym. Fitness is fitness. It's physical, mental, and emotional. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm intrigued to understand, particularly in yourself, you spoke about earlier about, you know, going through depression um, and how and what you found personally sort of helped you. Were you able to reach out and ask for help or what was the sort of journey back to um, obviously where you're at at the moment? It's 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 an ongoing journey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like instantly I'm cured. Or just like a physical injury, yeah. Yeah, like um, I I never used to believe uh, the doctor when they would tell me that you know this is manageable. Um, that you can actually you can manage it because I feel talking like, about your mental. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, that you can actually manage this and and you know over time you know you'll get better and you'll feel you know a similar way to you how you had before and yeah. I, I just was just like I think this is bullshit yeah because um, I don't feel that way yeah um, and then you know I you know I've tried different kind of strategies which is kind of the fake it till you make it thing where you force yourself to go out yep. and do things that normally give you joy even though you don't experience any joy doing it yep. connecting with your friends um, doing activities that you've enjoyed in the past and you know I've done that and then kind of gone mm, kind of Still don't feel any better. Yeah. But then, you know, I I went through a, a stage where I actually, I only thought I would ever get back to being kind of content, um, that I could never aspire to be happy yeah. in what I was doing. Um, wow. That I should settle for contentment. Okay. And that was what I was willing to go for. And then I realized... That would have been a huge shift for someone like you who's used to the pursuit of excellence. Yeah. But... Then I also, there was a time where I had some clarity and I actually realised, no, I'm, I'm actually pretty happy at the moment. Yeah. And once I, I had that, I realised I've got something to work with here. Yeah. Um, you know, having that light at the end of the tunnel, like trying all of the things that I was supposed to do to get there, it took me a long time, but I was also understanding myself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I kind of show some respect for what I'm going through um, in that, you know, sometimes I'll go, do you know what, I'm actually just going to take a day off. Yeah. But first thing tomorrow morning, I'm actually going to get up and I'm going to walk the dog. Yeah. the first thing. So I'll give it that kind of level of respect, but it's not spend a week at home, yeah. do nothing, watch Netflix. Um, I won't allow myself to do that. Yeah. Um, but once I kind of started to see that, yeah, I can be happy, yeah, I can get fulfillment and enjoyment yeah. out of my life it did change my mindset that you know i am someone that has depression yes but i don't think i have a depressed person's mindset now 
Love it. There are so many golden nuggets I want to jump in and grab out of there. And the first one is uh, that focusing on being happy as opposed to achieving something. You know, a lot of people, uh, myself included, go from, you know, achieving accomplishments and their sort of tangible dividends, but then you, there's not those accomplishments or those, those, those goals to achieve or even dreams to achieve. And for me, it's actually finding that the dream was actually just to be happy, to be happy doing whatever you're doing. And that's, that's health. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks. Um, Cause it's like, and you're right, yeah. but it's like me going to the gym. I mean, I have the best excuse not to go. I mean, I've done this most of my <laughs> life. And so I need to have a trainer to go to the gym. Yeah. So I feel like I'm letting someone down. Yeah. And then I go, and then it's oh. like, what are you training for? I'm so with you. And they're like, um, uh, well, I'm like, oh, I'm training for life. I kind of roll my yeah. eyes yeah. or whatever yeah. it is, right? And it's kind of like, mm, yeah, not so into this. I prefer having goals and kind of reaching them. It's yeah. actually really hard to yeah, go, is. oh, I value my health in a way, yeah. the same as what I value my performance. That's it. I'm the same. I used to yeah, train for a purpose. And even outside of defense, there might have been a superficial purpose, like summer's coming up or whatever. But then once, and I, again, exactly like yourself, you used to train for a purpose. You know, you trained at the higher level. You were training for a physical task. I had to be as fit as I could in order to do my job as best as I could. But when there's no longer that extreme motivation, it's so hard to just, you know, I don't actually need to do this. Like, mm-hmm. I have to want to do it I don't need to do it and that transition in mindset was is so difficult for some people to grasp but a lot of guys when they get out of um, the military really fall off the fitness wagon yeah it's one way or the other people either usually stay fit or yeah. they yeah become slobs yeah and I kind of worked out I didn't want to be a slob yeah. but I I also realized I cannot justify doing 30 to 40 hours of training yeah just to actually be in the physical shape that I used to be in, yeah, um, and I don't want to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's kind of somewhere in between. And even you saying like needing a, a trainer, you know, I always used to pride myself physically, and uh, until recently, I've actually gone like, yep, I need a trainer, I need a program because my motivation just isn't. But there. Even if you don't have a trainer, have a friend. Yeah, um, where, where you feel like you're letting someone down. Yes. By not going, that's you know, if you if you don't have a trainer, you can't afford it. Um, yeah, have a mate. And you'll turn up to the gym a lot more than if you just do it by yourself. Love it. The battle buddy needed. Yeah. And then loving yourself, learning to actually respect and look after yourself and not always put yourself down. That was another key point you brought out. It's so hard to, we keep holding ourselves to our own high standards, but then actually learning to love yourself first and foremost. It sounds so cliche, but you've said exactly that when you were just speaking before. Yeah, I guess it's, I think we're, we're probably harshest on our, ourselves. If you, if you probably looked at yourself um, and you looked at, what you've accomplished and what you do objectively you couldn't see that it was you you'd probably score yourself a lot higher yeah. than what you you would if you're looking in the mirror um doing the same thing and we're always benchmarking ourselves against what we were as opposed to what we are that's right yeah uh, and yeah it, it, it is correct um that you know and it's the same for everyone you're there's you know around the world it doesn't matter what you do what field of play that you're in um it's realizing that as you kind of mature, there will be another generation of people that follow you yeah. that um, hopefully you've inspired um, that can actually be better than you and to be happy for them. Yeah. Um, in the same way that I was inspired by a generation of people that came before me. Yeah. And so it's kind of, I think that's kind of the test of, of being a, a true champion is uh, being able to do that. And, you know, whilst you're performing at your best to behave and perform in a manner that that is inspirational for another generation of people 
Absolutely. And it's fascinating hearing that you speak about a lot. You work a lot in the mental health space, working with youth. Uh, I want to talk in particular that the uh, I find a lot of value has been returned to the things I do by being able to sort of give back to my community, be that in a, some form of a mentoring role or just finding some way to, to be and feel selfless. And when I spoke to you previously about within swimming, that importance of sort of mentoring that next generation and even those transitioning from sport and your experiences and sort of passion therein. Yeah, like for, for me, I... Um I, I mentor, everyone asks me, would you coach? Um, and I, I can and I could do it from time to time, but it's not really something that I want to do. And I actually don't think people would get as much out of it as, as me coming into a session and actually having fresh eyes on it and yeah. saying, how about you try this out? Yeah. Um, and it's a little bit like being an uncle. It's kind of all of the fun. Yeah. Um, but none of the responsibility. 100%. So I like that part of that as yeah. well. Because if you were to coach a squad, you go on a roller coaster ride with them. Yeah. Um, and I, I've had enough of that for now. Yeah, I got you. When you did uh, depart from sport on both occasions, were you sort of mentored um, throughout that period or was primarily all a lot in your life been swimming focused, actual performance focused? No, I think in sport we've spoken or people have talked a really good game about what they do for athletes, you know, in terms of during their careers and, and post-careers and what they'll do in transition for them. And, you know, it, it, it's not true. Um, only now, um, there's something else I, that I chair, uh, which is the athletes' um, health and well-being uh, for the AIS. So all sports in Australia, it's funded by the Sports Commission. But for the first time, we'll actually withhold um, funding if uh, sports aren't matching or meeting the criteria required for athletes' well-being during their careers and what they're doing for them post-careers. Wow. So it's making sure that athletes are actually preparing for a life outside of their sport. Um, And how are they doing that? um, Well, if they don't meet the criteria, they don't get the money. So it's... And but as in, sorry, what sort of like preparations are you putting athletes through to prepare for life after sport? Well, it would be looking at, um, you know, that it's unacceptable not to have a job or to be studying yep. whilst you're involved in your sport. Uh-huh. It will actually create a better rounded or more rounded athlete that we are hoping will stay in the sport longer because they know that they've got some security yes. after it. It means that they won't be putting all of their eggs in one basket yes. um, around sport, uh, which is can finish at any moment in time. Yeah. It's a finite career that, uh, you know, one injury or um, one, uh, you know, health problem can, yeah. can ruin your career like yeah. that. Um, and it's over in an instant. And if you're not prepared, um, you know, there's no job security in yeah. what you're doing. Um, so fascinating. So then we're also looking at how do we link up um, you know, people with different organisations that are, um, you know, involved in sport or, you know, have some interest in actually applying the skills that an, an athlete may have um, into their organisations because yeah. they've seen them do the hard work and they think that they'll be great performers in the workforce as well. That's brilliant. What's, what's this organisation called again, sorry? Um, so it's, it's from the AIS, okay. but um, yeah, the Athlete Health and Wellbeing. Athlete Health and Wellbeing. It's funny, we've, we work so closely with AIS from developing our selection courses, our, our fitness training, everything else in between. But 
Sounds like there's already an off-the-shelf sort of organisation this new Defence Joint Transition Authority can link into to get some... Well, they probably can. There's, the things are that it's not too dissimilar to some of the things you know, that we talk about that yeah. or we've spoken about that, um, you know, why recreate it um, if there's, there's something there? I mean, I know that some of the swimmers, for example, have already worked with um, special forces yeah. um, and, you know, learning, you know, dif- different techniques and what we can, can share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think um, the opinion was that, you know, sport is in the national interest, so we may as well train our athletes to know everything the same way. And wow, I was like, I okay, like sure. Okay, we can go with that. Got enough on your plate? It must have been a, well, it must have been a prime minister that happened to like sport. Oh, yeah. Which is the other problem that we face. At different times, um. different prime ministers don't like sport as much. The political, the political presence. That's the one thing I loved about the military is it was very apolitical. We just went out and conducted tasks and our life after military is all political. So it's yep. been fascinating. One other key thing you brought out was you mentioned a dog. <laughs> yeah. Now I have this, I, we both have dogs. My one's running around here somewhere and I never had a dog throughout uh, my career. I was just so unstable and unable to be responsible for it. But the number one thing I go back and say, uh, particularly any single guys or girls getting out of the military, is get yourself a bloody dog. As far as a proactive companion, antidepressant, there's nothing quite like it. No, it's true. Dogs, um, there's actually research on it. So um, it was, you know, I was giving out kind of top tips for dealing with mental health issues. And one of mine was, can I say get a dog? And they're like, yeah, you can, because there's evidence behind it as well. But it, it is true. And... Having, uh, you know, pets, especially dogs, they have an intuition around how you're feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they know what to do. Yeah. Um, they know when to give you space. They know when to actually curl up right next to you. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, for me, I take my dog for a walk and it is actually for my own mental health. It yeah. is not about exercise in yeah. any way. It is just to be out there and, and also being present. Yeah. Um, so I don't listen to music and things when I'm doing that. Okay. So I try and um, be mindful while I'm there, like try and see if I notice something new today that I haven't seen before. Good, in and the moment. It's, yeah, and yeah. it's kind of, COVID's actually kind of, it pushed me that way. Yeah. Where, you know, I was kind of like, I, I don't know what I'm doing um, at the moment. I don't know what work's coming up. Um, and, you know, I knew that it would be very easy for me to sit at home and watch too much Netflix and just be lazy. And so having a dog, making myself take her out for a walk. um, And then I was like, oh, I didn't know there was a view of the water from here. And like things like that, that, you know, I just picked up on that um, I wouldn't have noticed otherwise. Um, Dogs are so in the moment. They are not thinking about, oh, tomorrow I need to do this. They're thinking about what's going on right now. Yeah. I love this. Dad's here. It's brilliant. And that's, why I said my antidepressant, but it's also my anti-anxiety. You know, like yeah, you said, yeah. if you if we we take, can pat a dog. If yeah. you want your blood pressure to go down, pat a dog. Yeah, absolutely. If you take your headphones out, if you turn your phone off, and you just look at your dog or do something with your dog, it is all about that moment right there. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Um, now, in one part for me that I want to want to chat about is throughout my career. Um, I'm an openly gay man now, but throughout my career, um, I ended up with 16 years in the military, and it was very unique whereby. Um, with the, the benefit of hindsight, I was the only person um, suppressing my own sexuality. Um, I was in an organisation that was, you know, very alpha male dom- dominated um, out here at Holsworthy at Special Forces Unit. There's about 400 operators, none of which were openly gay, which we know statistics say otherwise. But it was a lot of 
those conversations and considerations in my head that thought, let me think that, you know, I didn't want to be different. I never wanted to be um, assessed on any label other than my competence and capability, my personality, my performance each and every day. Um, and I was sort of very fearful of what it might be seen if I did come out and, and accept who I was personally. And again, like I said, since then, it's been nothing but, you know, I should have done it a hell of a lot earlier. But again, that was a personal learning journey. Sure. Uh, but it's so fascinating for me because I know that um, you yourself have um, a very, very similar story. And particularly talking about the incredible mindset that you had from a 17-year-old uh, focusing on your own um, certainty as opposed to getting caught up with all the competition and how much of your mental focus and drive that would have taken but yet still and as I've learned there's still at least maybe one or two percent particularly when it comes to that sexuality piece in the back of your head that was a capability that we never used and never applied to ourselves fully and wholeheartedly and I'm intrigued to hear about your own sort of mental journey um, with these things. Sure yeah I think everyone you know kind of comes out when they're ready yeah and um, there's, there's one thing that I heard after I came out. Um, it's probably the only thing that may have convinced me to come out earlier. And it was that you don't come out for yourself. You actually come out for the person um, that's going through a, an even more difficult time than what you are. Mm. More difficult circumstances than what yours are. Yeah. Um, and to be the example for that person. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's really good. Um, if someone had kind of explained that to me, but no one knew. Yeah. I, um, you know, I also was asked about my sexuality when I was a minor, when I was 16, by a journalist. Yeah. And so then after that, you know, I was being accused of being gay. So for me, I would always make the association. As if it was a weakness or something. No, 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 no. There's something wrong with me. Yeah, that's it. Or that it's a bad thing. Yep. It's a we- all of that because the tone is... Is, is different and it's an accusatory thing that you yeah. feel as though yeah there's you're doing something wrong yeah um, it makes you feel than, wrong yeah and, and rather than looking at the positive side of it as well um so it was quite unbalanced um in 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 how i would have come out um and yeah it kind of i you know i i wish i was out earlier um now that i'm out but um you know, it took me it took me a very long time to kind of be comfortable enough to 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 get there. Yeah. And I can remember I when I came out, um, so I decided, and you know, I I get asked about this, so I give people a little bit of advice, but I can't speak to everyone. But I tell people like the order of who you come out to, it's not a hierarchy. Um, so actually, have some friends that are going to be on your side. Um, tell them first. Yeah. It doesn't have to be your parents, um, especially for young people. Yeah. But I, I told, um, so I told one of my my friends. Uh, I told her, and she was just disappointed that I hadn't come out earlier. Yeah. And she said, "You're so much more interesting now." <laughs> <laughs> then I went around to one of my mates, who's a who's a PT. Um, so you know, pretty. Uh, standard typical Aussie guy yeah I said oh how are you going and he's um he's like oh I mean the toughest day mate I'm fucked um I said well speaking of fucked I'm gay (laughs) (laughs) and he's like awesome (laughs) um and he was happy about it like he was like he was glad that I got to that point where you know I could tell him um it's all in the same day um then I went and told my sister 
And she said to me, whatever you do, don't tell mum and dad separately. Oh, God. I was like, because I was going to go to mum first and then yeah. she was going to soften it so I didn't have to tell my dad. Yeah. And, you know, I came out to my parents and, you know, they were fantastic. You know, they yeah. said exactly what I needed to hear, which is we, we love you no matter what. That's it. And, you know, I stewed it over as being such a bigger deal than what it was. 100%. But then, you know, I kind of, you know, I had to kind of come out. I decided I'd come out publicly then yep. um, as well. And um, I was I was already I was about to do an interview, and so I kind of I told um, some people close to me that um, you know I'm just going to come out once and do it on TV basically, yeah. Um, so I don't have to tell everyone along the way. That's good. Um, and <laughs> I was told at the time, and they're like, "Don't you think you should try and get used to it first? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> "I'm like I'm now thirty, <laughs> and." Um, I just happened yeah, to have yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so I, it was kind of like, that was my line in the sand. I'd come out of the closet and I was like, I'm not going to take a step back from here. Um, I'll just take steps forward. Wow, good on you. That's a, that's a huge element of courage. I mean, that's, and that's moral courage. Um, I personally struggled with moral courage. I remember 2014, um, a guy who was actually at my unit came up to me and he was going to apply for selection. He's one of the support staff. Shout out to Nick. And... He asked me that if I thought it would be an issue if uh, he didn't like girls. And this is just a one-on-one conversation in my office. And he, I know he looked up to me. Um, I was senior and ranked him. I was sort of like the big brother, the uncle perspective. And I, for the first time, I, I, I freaked out. I became fearful. Yeah. You know, at this time, I'd, I'd already done three deployments to Afghanistan. And I was scared in that moment. And I let him down. I was like, no, mate, don't worry. They won't worry about any of that stuff. Whereas this guy was looking for someone to connect with him and make it feel all right. And it's so fascinating what you were saying. That is now like the responsibility of anyone who has dealt with that mind space where you feel different. You literally feel that there is something wrong with yourself, regardless of what anyone else says. You feel there's something wrong with yourself and to potentially have an impact on someone's life to make them not feel that way. Because yeah. that's as far as like health and wellness goes, if you can help someone in that way, that's 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 absolutely huge. Yeah. But I uh, I also have this like thing is like why do I even need to come out? Like I'm me. You're yeah. very different. You're very you're in the spotlight. It's always a question for you. It would have been so much easier to get it out of it. But um, particularly since then, a lot of water has gone under the bridge in our own culture, in our own society, and it's just such a, a normal part of life these days. I think days. it is. Well, it is. Yeah. Now. It is now. It's changed significantly. Huge, yeah. I know um, support for marriage equality in 2004 was just under 35%. Yeah. So about a third of people support it and it had doubled by the time um, yeah. that marriage equality came around. So it's changed very quickly. And when you look at a younger generation, I think there will be very little kind of coming out will not be a thing. It yeah. will kind of just be a, no, I, I'm, I'm into girls or I'm into guys. Absolutely. Or I'm not sure. That's it. And I think, the pendulum always swings, and particularly at the moment, a big observation I make uh, within all our society is that a lot of people really like to be defined by or define others by labels, particularly labels like sexuality that you can't actually control yourself. Yeah, so I've always been the opposite. I actually hate being labelled. 100%. So I don't like being put in a box. I don't like being um, told I'm this or that. I used, to, I used to get told I was a metrosexual. Yeah, right. Um, and I'm like... I mean, just stylish. That, mean? that just means you're stylish. No, well, yeah, <laughs> but it's just a marketing term. Like, yeah, I know. Like, why? And this is what like, I found. Other people try and exert some form of label in order to provide them with more certainty of what they think you are, as opposed to, hey, he's him, he's happy, unless it impacts on my happiness. Like, why is it a factor? Why do I need to put him yes, in a box? Sure. Yeah, so I'm really, 
really fascinating, particularly in the gay community. I see a lot of people wearing it as a, as a label of entitlements these days and in everything, you know, people who, unless you've earned something, you know, something you're born with, I don't feel it's something we can wear with entitlement as opposed to wanting to be treated with equal standards and be given a fair go. That's my sort of take on the conversation. Yeah, I'm for equality. So Absolutely, yeah. cool. Head start. All right, well, it, Thorpey, there's <laughs> been so much we have covered today, but I just want to get on a few key highlights. First and foremost, uh, it's been so insightful hearing your mindset um, and your mental um, just fortitude from that, that early age, you know, even that new perception of what swimming actually meant to you and the incredible personal experience and, and learning, learning lessons in life, your own emotions, your own mental health that you're at at this stage. And what is your relationship like with your own mental health at the moment, your mental wellness? Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, yeah. And it's something that, you know, I manage now. Yeah. I have, you know, I have a couple of days a year where I struggle a bit, yeah. but that's it. Um, and I really, I put them into context that, you know, I'm just having a bad day. Yeah. That's it. And, and I, I allow myself to give myself a pass on that, those days. Okay. But generally, it's, it's good. And I can tell when I'm actually kind of starting to slip away a little bit as okay. well. When I'm, you know, would normally go into, you know, a deep depression. Yeah. Um, I can actually counter that now. And what are those proactive measures that you sort of put in place or have others to help you yeah, identify? So it's, um, you know, it's... it's Spending time with friends. Um, so there's a social element to it. You know, it's exercising more. Yep. Um, doing things that I enjoy. Um, even making sure, you know, I, I the Netflix kind of um, continue watching. Yeah. I actually make that my own mental health check. Okay. Um, have I done the things today that I intended to when I got up this morning? Okay. Um, and if I haven't, I go and do some um, to get away um, from that. Because right. it's an easy trap to fall into, just keep on going. Yeah, gotcha. And as you said, it's, a, it's an ongoing journey. Like it's not, not a physical injury. You can sort of see the wound healing or maybe feel the range of movement return. But sure. um, and I know myself, I find that the healing comes when I'm probably not as emotive when I'm reacting to something or someone sowing one of those potentially negative seeds doesn't hit me as much. But they still hit their spot, but it's just a very, a very slow progression. I think that's a key message I want to draw out that you've really highlighted is that it doesn't happen overnight, but it no, will happen. It will happen. <laughs> it's a hair care commercial, isn't it? <laughs> I can't remember what that it was. was. Yeah. It was Pantene. Oh, gosh. Shout out to Pantene. Um, all right. We'll, probably, we'll look to finish up. And I, I just really like to close, particularly with someone of such an, an incredible um, person, profession, performance, and just personality that, that is yourself, the torpedo himself, um, noting that the majority of our audience is, is the veteran community. If there's anything you'd like to sort of say to those um, listening again in the context of everything that's going on at the moment uh, my message to veterans is to really try and take control of what they can um, and you know don't forget who they were in service and apply that to everything they are outside of service but uh, I'd love to hand over to you to see what you'd like to say. Yeah I'd also like to tell people how much we appreciate their service as well um, and it's a conversation that in Australia we actually don't know how to say it um, yeah. Like and there's a lot of people that will have never experienced what you've been through, and we do appreciate it. But you know, I, I kind of think you know we look at RSL clubs and things like that. You know, we don't know how to engage in this conversation yeah. with other people, um, and I think that's a conversation that this country needs to have um, in our own identity and in you know what has shaped this country. Yeah, 
there's been two major things and one of those things has come from war. Yep. Um, and then the other probably significant one is sport. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's a lot easier for us to talk about sport than what it is, about the horrors of what people have been through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's we see it as a nation. You know, I myself, being a veteran, you know, sport is such a huge place for me. Like I said, you know, I was a 15-year-old watching the Sydney Olympics and it's that part where you get to see a country unite befo- behind something and not u- unite behind an ideal, but unite behind performance and actions. You know, there's, there's no words, there's no clocks. Like when you're in the pool, you're there doing your performance and you're representing our country. And that's what I really, really enjoyed during my time in service. And, and I'm with you. There's incredible opportunity for us to have more of these conversations. And you're right, as Australians, we're terrible at giving people compliments. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to thank you for everything that you've done for our country. And I really do, do personally mean that. And I'm um, really, really looking forward to seeing what, what, is, what is next for you? What's going on in your life? What's your next purpose from here? Um, <laughs> it's a great question. I never know the answer to this. <laughs> and I'm actually happy not knowing. Yeah, good. Um, it's kind of... Because he's happy. Uh, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's, it's more I, I know where I want to end up. Yeah? And I've learned enough that I don't know how I'm going to get there. Okay. Um, but I work at it every day. Where do you want to end up? Not telling you yet. Oh, yeah. stay tuned. That's yeah. going to be episode two. Yeah. All right. All right. Cheers, man. Thorpey, thank, thank you. you so much. Pleasure. Been a pleasure. Thank See you. you.